quick summary of, of where we've been throughout Genesis. You know, we started in chapter 12. We looked at how God calls Abraham out of his country. He's living in Ur and God says, you know, go to the land that I will show you. And it's sort of this, you know, come and we're going to go there. And he gives a promise to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Um, and through your offspring, the nations of the world will be blessed. And that's the promise. And then... Um, Continually throughout Abraham's life, that gets um, reaffirmed, I guess, this covenant. Um, you know, there's a story where God gets Abraham to bring all the animals and they cut him in half and, and then the fire goes through. It's a symbolism of God's covenant. I think Glenn talked about that a few weeks ago. And then we looked at sort of the ups and downs, you know, that the times when Abraham takes things into his own hands. You know, he, he's gone, you know, 20, 30 years without a son now. And so he sleeps with the servant, Hagar, and they have a son, Ishmael. And it's sort of like, there's these moments of great faith. I think Andrew talked about the sacrifice or the near sacrifice of Isaac. So there's moments of great faith, but then there's these moments of like, just like, what are you doing? You know, there's sort of this, this whole up and down journey of God's people all throughout Genesis. We saw it with Jacob as well. Jacob has these ups and downs, these sort of the schemer, deceiver type guy making his own plans with his fears and then God wrestles him back sort of, you know, and then he has his wow moment before that at Bethel. And then um, we get to Jacob's children and it's like even more of a mess. You know, we've got Joseph who's like the shining light. So Joseph's like, like Glenn said last week, he's the shining light. He sort of stands out as this sort of squeaky clean kid. Um, but then we've got the story of like Judah and Tamar that Glenn touched on last week where Judah sleeps with his daughter-in-law, and they have a son, Perez, and, and that ends up being the line of Jesus. You know, what I love about Jesus is he has a messy family tree. There's no one perfect in it. And that is us as well, that, you know, we're, not, we're far from perfect, but God is faithful to us regardless. And that's what we've been looking at, and that's what we're celebrating, and sort of continue to celebrate next week. Um, but for today, we're finishing off Genesis so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from Genesis 50. If you've got that, I think it will be on the screen. Genesis 50, the end of Joseph's life um, when he talks to his brothers now that Jacob has passed away. So Genesis 50, we're going to go from verse 15. It says this, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And so they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and let their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of your servants. Please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph's response is that he wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and they fell down before him. They said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I'll provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so Joseph remained in Egypt he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the
The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely visit you and will bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So Genesis ends, first book of the Bible. It's like season one is done. And there's this sense that this isn't it. That's like the first key thing I want to communicate this morning, that, that this isn't it. You know, I sort of titled the message, Faithful to the Promise, question mark. Because there's this sense of like, you get to the end of the book of Genesis and you go, is God faithful to his promise? Like, has he fulfilled what he said he would do? Because there's this sense that this isn't it. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling in your life, this sense that, you know, you get towards the end of the story and you think, oh, this isn't it. Like, there must be more. There's got to be, you know, something's missing or, you know, life's got to offer something more than this. You know, that sort of thinking is, I guess, in some ways been a bit of a theme of my life, I feel like, for a little bit. Not to say that I've had a bad life or anything. I think I've had a great life. But there's this sense always deep in me that's like, there's got to be more than this. You know, I remember my first year of Bible college, we had Year in the Sun, and one of the things they made us do was journal, and I hated it. And we had to, like, write this stuff. And, like, they would give us time one morning every week to just write some stuff. And they're just like, be free and just write. I'm like, oh, that's just, like, cringe to me. Anyway, I remember clearly, number of the first few weeks, all it said, the first line, it said, there must be more. Like, there was this sense of, like, unfulfillment in my life. Like, this wasn't it. You know, even now where I'm at, you know, I constantly feel this tension that surely like my life is as it is, surely there's more. Surely this isn't it. In fact, one of the great philosophers of our time, uh, John Mayer, he wrote a song called Something's Missing. I'll read you some of the lyrics. He says, I'm dizzy from the shopping malls. I searched for joy, but I bought it all. It doesn't help the hunger pains and the thirst I'd have to drown first to ever satisfy. Something's missing and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing and I don't know what it is at all. And then repeat that chorus about ten times. And he gets to the bridge. He goes, friends, check. Money, check. Well slept, check. Opposite sex, check. Guitar, check. Money, microphone, check. Messengers waiting for him when he gets home, check. And it's the guy at the, near the height of his career. He's got it, got it all. And even he has to say, something's missing. And I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing and I don't know what it is. I'm sure some of you can relate to that sort of thing, that sort of feeling that this isn't it. Yeah? Can some of you relate? Here's the thing. I I think we actually should. I think we actually should, deep down, relate to that, resonate with that, that this isn't it. That there must be more. Because faith is about keeping expectations high. 
Faith is about believing that, okay, God, the God who reveals himself in this Bible and everything that he does, that that's also our God. That he didn't just do it one day for some people, but he does it today for us, for his people. That we actually should have high expectations, believing that God can transform, that God can give life, that God is, you know, like we're saying, that he's beautiful, that he's wonderful, that he's powerful. And we should also relate because we see that our world is broken. We see the sinfulness. We see the struggle. We see the suffering. We feel it ourselves in our own lives. And so we should know that this isn't it. You know, and that's where Genesis ends. It's like the classic season one ending. I don't know if you've ever watched TV shows, you know, and season one finishes. It's sort of like this kind of happy ending, but total cliffhanger as well. That's exactly where Genesis, like the brothers are together, they're sort of reunited, they're reconciliation, everyone's, you know, happy family. And in some ways, there's a sense that the promise has been fulfilled. You look at, you know, Joseph's up to his third generation of kids now. So there's probably hundreds of people in the sort of tribe of Israel living in Egypt. You know, the world has been blessed through Abraham's descendant. Joseph has been responsible for the saving of many lives. They're living in luxury. They've got all they need. But there's still a sense that this isn't it. And why is that? Because they're not in the land. They're not in Canaan. They're not in the promised land that God had promised to them. In fact, you know, the writer emphasizes it. In verse 22, that sort of last little section, it says, Joseph remained in Egypt. And then he repeats the last words of the chapter, in Egypt. It's like, just in case you didn't get it, they embalmed Joseph, they buried him in the coffin, in Egypt. Like, just to get it into your point that they're not where they're meant to be. They're not in the promised land. And so in verse 24, Joseph says to his brothers, God will visit you and he'll bring you up out of this land to the land that he's promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, Joseph has to remind his brothers that though, though this is good, you know, though things are going pretty well, we're in Egypt, you know, we've got everything that we need, though this is good, this isn't it, that we're actually destined for the promised land. And I think this morning, like, I just want to remind us that this isn't it. Though life may be pretty comfortable for us and we've got all we need, this isn't it. God is coming back again. He's making all things new. He's building his church and nothing's going to stop him because this isn't it. Egypt was nice, but they were destined for the promised land. The same is true for us. This world is nice, particularly for us in the West, like we've got all we need. It's pretty good, but it's not it. We are destined for heaven, that heaven is our home. And so we, we can't get too comfortable here. We can't get too distracted. But instead, we need to live by faith and not by sight, reminding ourselves that this isn't it, that God has got something more for us, whether that's in this life or in the life to come. Genesis ends, but the promise still remains. And we need to realize that same is true for us, that our, our story goes on and our story may end, but the promise still remains that God 
has promised more and that he's faithful to his promise. I think it's Bill Hybels, John, John Chambers will be able to correct me if it's not, but he has a book called Holy Discontent. True? He penned this phrase, the holy discontent. See, as Tim Keller is to Glenn Decker, Bill Hybels is to John Chambers, all right? So that's what you figure out in the office pretty quickly. But Bill Hybels has this phrase, holy discontent. It's about sort of having this, this healthy balance that this isn't it. You know, that we're content with what God has given us. We're content, we're thankful. You know, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Like, we're called to be thankful. We're called to be grateful and be content with what we've got. But we're also supposed to have this sort of healthy balance of discontent because we see the brokenness and we cry out for God to come again. We wait the day where he'll restore everything to perfection. See, we need that healthy balance. You know, I, was, I was really hoping Luke was going to be here this morning. I think they arrived tomorrow, Tuesday. So I thought Luke was going to be here, so I worked really hard to get a C.S. Lewis quote in here. And so I found one. It's one of my favorite quotes ever. C.S. Lewis says this, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was not made for this world. See, I want to go to John Mayer. You know, this is one of my dreams, you know, to go to John Mayer, you know, the guy who says something's missing. I'd love to just go, you know what, if you've got a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, maybe you're made for another world. Maybe Jesus is the one that's missing. Maybe heaven is, is the home that you're feeling called to. See, we need this deep desire, this deep sense that this isn't it. The desire for more, for perfection, for heaven. This desire that nothing in the world can satisfy. Because we're destined for the promised land. We're not made to settle in Egypt. We're destined for heaven and not made to settle for earth. See, if you have that deep sense of this isn't it, if you have that sort of unrest in you, you know, maybe you're onto something. Maybe there is more, but that more is not found in adventure or travel or material things or in a better job or a better house or in good times or best friends, but maybe that more is found in Jesus and living in his kingdom now and forever. And so that's what we hold on to. That's what we hold on to. And we persevere while we're in Egypt, knowing that this world is not our home, that the promise remains. And while that probably sounds good, the danger when we talk too much about that is that we neglect the here and now. We put off, you know, our call. We, we become sort of one-day Christians, one-day people. Uh, I mean, I've sort of recognize this in my life a number of times and that's like one day I'll get my life sorted you know one day I'll get things sorted I'll just have a bit of fun for now you know one day I'll commit my life to God just let me travel first or one day you know when I'm in a serious relationship then I'll focus on purity or one day when I'm working full-time when I've got more money then I'll start giving to church then I'll be generous or when I've got my house then I'll be generous or when I'm paid off the mortgage, and then I'll be 
generous. You know, when, I'm, when I finish my uni degree, then I'll start serving in church. You know, one day when I'm retired, then I'll focus on the family. You know, one day when I'm less busy, I'll read my Bible and pray. You know, we, we become one day, like one day I'll get that sorted. But actually, God calls us to serve here and now, right where we're at. See, one day things so often become never happening things. You know, I talk about this to our young adults all the time. Like, it's really hard, probably near impossible to flick a switch one day. You know, we, we like to think that, okay, one day in my future, you know, I'll flick a switch and bang, I'll be that person. You know, one day I'll, I'll get older and I'll flick a switch and then I'll start being generous. Like, it doesn't work like that. You've got to start building that into your life now. You know, if you want to be pure in marriage, you can't just flick a switch when you put a ring on it. Like, you've got to start that now. See, because our behaviors become habits. You know, our sins become strongholds. And, and you can't just put off things one day. You know, God says that today is the day of salvation. Like, today is the day that God wants to connect with us, have a relationship with us, and not, not one day, not one day in our future. God's not waiting for us there. God comes to us now. As far as we know, here and now, these are the moments that we've got. One day may not come. So today is the day. And what I love is that Joseph is the perfect example. See, Joseph had a one day. He had a dream as a kid that he was going to be like significant. His brothers, his family, his parents, they're all going to bow down to him. He was the second youngest of 12 he was a spoiled brat. This was a big deal, you know, to finally be significant to his brothers that hated him. And then what happens to his life? <laughs> his brothers try to kill him. He ends up in a pit. He gets sold to merchants, becomes a slave to Potiphar's house, ends up in prison, ends up in the palace. You know, I'm sure there were plenty of times in Joseph's life when he was sitting there and he went, this isn't it. Like, this is not what God promised me. This is not the life he has in store for me. Surely, like, he's sitting at the bottom of the pit and he goes, I thought they were going to bow down to me, not throw me into a pit. <laughs> maybe, you know, in the prison, he remember, you know, maybe when he's in the prison, he's interpreting other people's dreams. Maybe he remembered his own dream. Maybe he doubted his dream. Maybe he doubted the promise. You know, maybe when he was in the pit, he prayed for God to rescue him. Maybe he thought, oh, Reuben, Reuben seemed to care a bit. Maybe he'll come and pick me up. Yeah, maybe he was in the prison and he asked God for his brothers to come rescue him or something. But God didn't answer those prayers the way that he wanted, probably. Because he had the big picture in mind. See, Joseph was responsible for the saving of many lives. That one day they did bow down to him. But it didn't just happen by flicking a switch, you know, one day. He found himself at the palace and go, okay, I'll, I'll flick my switch. I'll be an important person now. So even though he knew it, this wasn't it, he was always faithful to God, serving right where he was. He was faithful in Potiphar's house. He was faithful in the prison. He was faithful in the palace. You know, he could have sulked in a corner. He could have just sat there and go, this isn't it. God, where are you? You've ruined my life. You know, what was with that dream? 
that dream's the reason I got thrown in a pit. And, you know, what's with that? You know, he could have missed out on everything, but instead he chose to faithfully serve God right where he was. And everywhere that he went, God gave him what he needed. God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. God gave him the ability and the wisdom to to run the household, to run the palace. You know, the constant refrain that Glenn talked about last week, the Lord was with him and he was successful in all that he did. Constantly, all throughout Joseph's life, that's what it says, that God was with him and gave him all that he needed. See, this may not be it for your life, for our life, for our world. This may not be it. There may be more. There probably is. But the reality is this. Right where you are, here and now, is where God has you. You know, we talked about this at a Generate service last year when we looked at the life of Esther, who is another good example of someone you know, in the palace you know, for such a time as this. You know, could we be as bold to declare that, that your life, my life, exactly as it is right at this moment, is just how God wants it? Could we be as bold to declare that, that actually God is in control, that He is sovereign, that He is all-powerful, and that our lives, just as they are, are how they're meant to be for this moment. This may not be it, but here and now, this is where God has us. You know, and that, that's hard to grasp. That's hard to take in, particularly when our lives aren't all that easy. But we've got to trust the truth and have faith in the promise that God is sovereign, that He is in control, and that He has a plan. Don't neglect the here and now because you feel like the promise, because you feel like that's out of reach, because you feel like this isn't it. Serve God here and now and see what happens. Because that's what Joseph did. He was faithful in the palace, in the pit, in the prison. And he gets to the end of his life, and what does he say in verse 20? Sort of the classic verse. You know, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Joseph's just faithful in the moment, step after step, and he gets back and he looks back and he sees goodness and mercy has followed him all the days of his life. That God, what was meant for evil was meant, God meant it for good. And you know, I don't know if God predetermined the pit or the palace or the prison. I don't know if that's how God works or if that's how God just weaved his plan as sinful people acted. Like, I don't know. That's part of the mystery of God. But what I do know is this, is that at the time it looked evil. At the time it looked wrong. At the time it looked like this isn't it. But when he looked back, he saw that God was good. That God was faithful. So I want to encourage you this morning to serve God here and now. The place where you are, the time that you're in, at this moment, right where you are is to serve God faithfully. Take each step as it comes. You know, maybe the person that you're serving is going to recommend you to Pharaoh down the track. You know, maybe the person that you're discipling is going to open doors for you in the future. Maybe that household that you're running is going to prepare you for a ministry in the future. Maybe the suffering you're going through becomes your testimony one day. You know, maybe it's more like Jacob. You know, maybe the struggle and the wrestle is going to redefine you. It's going to give you a limp 
that's going to remind you that God is strong in your weakness. You know, maybe you're wandering around life and not sure what's going on. And like Jacob, maybe God's going to reveal himself to you. That your wandering is going to lead to your wondering. You know, you're going to have your wow moment, that wake up moment. So I don't know what you're here and now, what life right at this moment, I don't know what that looks like from a future perspective. But I do know that God is faithful and that He is good, that He has promised us to be with us. See, God has promised more. This isn't it. He's destined us for heaven, yet He's placed us here and now for a reason and a purpose. So seek Him and serve Him. And what does that look like for you today? What does that look like for you to be faithfully serving God here and now? In the struggles, in just the workplace that you're in, you feel like, uh, it's not quite what I want to be doing. At your uni, at your school, wherever you're at, with the people that you're with, your friends, you might think, uh, it's not quite what I had pictured, but maybe God's got you there for a reason. And so, Joseph finishes up in verse 25. He says, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And that Joseph reminds his brothers that this isn't it. And what we find out later is that this wasn't wishful thinking. This wasn't just like a, a nice idea that he had for the future, but this was a declaration of faith. Hebrews 11 says, By faith... Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus and he gave directions concerning his bones. See, by faith, Joseph declared this isn't it and he made instructions for moving forward. What he probably didn't realize was how long that would take. Does anyone know how many years they were in Egypt for? 400 years. 400 years until the Exodus. Then another 40 years wandering around the desert because they, you know, stuffed up. <laughs> then another, probably another couple decades fighting to secure the promised land. That's a long time. <laughs> That's a long time to wait. You know, we're not waiting just a few minutes for a second marshmallow here, you know. That's a long wait. Nearly 500 years from the declaration of faith to the fulfillment. See, sometimes it's easy to declare something in faith and say, yep, God, this is your promise. But the real test for us is holding on by faith. Even when you can't see it coming, even when you can't see the exodus coming, even when you can't see the promise being fulfilled, we are called to hold on, to endure, to persevere. You know, see, God has the big picture in mind. Your life is hugely important to Him. But so is the life of the person next to you and everyone else in this room, in this world. He's got a big picture in mind. And so we need to trust that God has all of us here and now for a greater purpose, with a bigger picture. And faith is believing in what we cannot see. Even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like, I can't see the purpose of this. Trusting that God is in control. And trusting, not just intellectually, 
but like trusting that and then moving in that. So Joseph didn't just make a declaration of faith, he also made instructions as well. They said, this is what to do. That we can't just believe something, but we also need to act that. We need to walk the road. Though it may be long and winding, just to keep walking with him, keep clinging on to him, knowing that he will be with you. And Joseph's bones, they become, you know, Glenn's classic line, they become a, a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. That every time the Israelites would see Joseph's coffin, they would be reminded that this was not their home. That this isn't it. We need to continually remind ourselves that this world is not our home. You know, as we head into Easter, you know, the cross and the empty grave, they become our reminders. They become guarantees of what's to come. You know, as we look at on Friday, you know, the cross says that, that it is finished, that our sin is broken, that our debt is paid, that guilt is removed, the barrier is overcome. We can live in relationship with God and we can be faithful here and now because His Spirit can now live in us because we are washed clean. You know, the empty grave is, you know, the empty grave says that there is more, that death couldn't hold him. Jesus did rise again and he now seated on high. He reigns in power and he's going to come back again to judge and to restore. You know, Lord's Supper is a reminder that we're made right with God, but, you know, what's until we eat again with him in paradise. Baptism is a reminder of the covenant God made to his people. You know, God's word is a reminder. Church is a reminder. We should always be reminding ourselves that this is not our home. That there is more to come. And that is the promise that we cling to. That God is faithful to save and that he's working here and now. And that he's coming back again. And so to wrap up, Hebrews 11 gives, you know, it's a classic sort of Hall of Fame passage for the people of faith. You know, it's easy to look at them as heroes, but we, as we've seen, as we look at his lives, they're, they're far from perfect. And this is what he, Hebrews writes about the patriarchs in verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. I love that line. <laughs> I pray that it would be us, that we'd still be living by faith when we die. It says, they did not receive the things promised. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. See, if they had been thinking about the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. See, instead of thinking about the country that they had left, that God had called them out of, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city them i would love it if that's what someone wrote about us one day (laughs) that we were still living by faith 
even to death. That we were working towards a better country, a heavenly one, knowing that God is preparing a city for us. Wouldn't that be cool? And so, I guess, to give you a little physical reminder, I've got these little cards that... I'm going to just say, our guillotine doesn't cut straight, all right? So if they're not, like, perfect, that's why, all right? Um, Actually, can we get some of you guys to hand these out? You guys do a great job with the offering. Oh, yeah, look. I know, just go through the... You know, it's just... Just pass them around. I don't know how it's going to work or work out. Um, so at Generate last year, one of the services, we, we did a focus on here and now. Um, but as I was preparing for this morning, I realized that that's not the only side of the coin, that we actually need this other side that says this isn't it. So as you, as you get those, on one side, there's the, the here and now, sort of the clock and compass cool thing. Thanks, Google, for that. Um, and on the other side is this little diagram of... It's a Venn diagram, actually. There you go. I remember year eight maths. Venn diagram with heaven and earth overlapping in the middle with the cross right in the center. A reminder that this isn't it. Because in the reality, that's where we live. We live right in the middle where the cross is. We live in the tension of both worlds, heaven and earth. You know, we live kingdom of darkness, kingdom of God. We live in the tension of these two worlds that have come around. And so we need to constantly remind ourselves, one, we need to remind ourselves here and now, this is where God has got us. That God has got you right where He wants you for such a time as this. To serve in this context, to live out His kingdom. He is with you in the foreign land of Egypt and wants to use you for the saving of many lives. That our time on earth here and now is to be spent working towards a better country, a heavenly one. And on the flip side is a reminder that this isn't it that this world is not our home, that we're looking forward to and and longing for a heavenly city, knowing that that God is making all things new. I love that in this little thing. There's a video on the Bible project, Heaven and Earth, if you want to YouTube that. That's where the little um, picture comes from. But earth is really messy. (laughs) But heaven is, is perfect, and that's what we're longing for, and that's what we're destined for. And the reality is, is that we need both sides of the card. We need to hold both in tension. Because if we let go of the here and now purpose, if we let go of that, I feel like we're being disobedient to God, that we're, we're not living out His kingdom, that we're not responsible for the saving of many lives, that we're actually, that God wants to use us while we're here. But if we let go of the this isn't it side, if we let go of the the hope for heaven and the longing for heaven, then we just become, I guess, obsessed with this world. And we become distracted and comfortable. And and eventually, like if you don't have hope for heaven, you will get broken down by the brokenness of the world. Like the sin and the suffering will drag you down if you do not have hope and, and a faith 
for something more. And in the end, the cross is right in the middle because Jesus is the perfect example. Jesus is God and man, divine and human. He's living in the moment, yet always keeping his eyes forward. See, the cross connects heaven and earth. The cross connects God and humanity, God and us. Jesus entered into our world. He entered into the mess here and now. He came right in amongst it. John 1 says the word became flesh. Like God put on flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us. Literally means he, he pitched a tent. You know, he didn't come and stay in the five-star hotel in the city which no one can access. No, he came right to ground level and he pitched a tent. God comes right beside us in the person of Jesus and in him we find all that we need. For this life and the life to come, And so I'm going to invite our, our music team up and we're going to finish by, with a song. We're going to finish with a song called Christ is Enough. As a del- I pray that it would be a declaration of faith that Christ is enough, that He is everything that we need, that, you know, as the bridge said, that we've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. That the the cross before us, the world behind us, that we're not looking to the world for those things to satisfy, but instead we're looking to God, the only one that can satisfy us, the only one that can give us what we need. Amen? Amen. So why don't we stand and let's sing, Christ is Enough. So I'm... Um, One of the themes throughout all the Bible is that God's people are exiles. There's foreigners and strangers in the world. And in Jeremiah 29, God writes to the exiles that were in Babylon. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent from from Jerusalem to Babylon. God says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat produce. Take wives Have sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not increase. But seek the prosperity of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its prosperity you will prosper. And God says, when 70 years are completed, I'll visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and I'll bring you back home. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans of prosperity and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call upon me, and you will come and pray to me, and then I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from all the nations, and all the places where I have put you, and I will bring you back home from where I have sent you into exile. And that's the promise of God, that he'll bring us home. But while we're here, may we pray and seek the prosperity of the city that we're in. Amen.